was guilty with nothing to say and they were coming to take me away but then a voice from heaven was heard that said let him go take me should have been crucified I should have suffered and died I should have hung on the cross in disgrace but Jesus God's son took my place of thorns a spear deep in his side and the pain should have been mine the rusty nails were meant for me yet Christ took them and let me go free should have been crucified I should have suffered and died I should have hung on the cross in disgrace but Jesus God's son took my place I should have hung on the cross in disgrace, but Jesus, God's Son, took my place. The young people did a great job, and uh, our men's quartet won the competition, and so I wanted them to sing for us if they're here. I, they, 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 you know, weren't expecting to do so, but uh, man, if they forgot it since yesterday, we got problems, all right? That's for all of us 60 and over, right? Not them, all right? All right, so fellas, if you get... To some it's just an emblem, a formality. 
It's a symbol that's been used so frequently. Many blaspheme and despise, though it's ancient it abides. A shrine to death that stands for life to me. There was a cross made for the Son of God at Calvary. Two pieces of rough timber on a hill. Through his hands and through his feet, he took the nails for you and me. Angels watched as he died for the lost. Though he could have walked away, he chose the cross. You see why this old emblem is so dear to me. It stood for suffering, yet it brought us peace. It bridged the gap for men, offered cleansing for our sins. An icon that reminds us that we're free. There was a cross made for the Son of God at Calvary. Two pieces of rough timber on a hill. Through his hands and through his feet, he took the nails for you and me. Angels watched as he died for the lost. Though he could have walked away, he chose the cross. God forbid that I should ever let my memory fade. But forever keep the cross in view, for that's where I was saved. I was saved. There was a cross made for the Son of God at Calvary. Two pieces of rough timber on a hill. Through his hands and through his feet, he took the nails for you and me. Angels watched as he died for the lost. Though he could have walked away, he chose the cross. Though he could have walked away, he chose the cross. Amen. That's a good song, and they do a great job. And uh, we're so proud of all of our teenagers. They all worked very hard, and we had an ensemble that won as well, and that was good. And uh, maybe we'll have them sing again. I think they sung for us last Sunday night. If, it, if I'm not mistaken, that was the group that won. And uh, they did a great job, but who knows? Maybe we'll let them sing again tonight. But, uh, boy, I sure enjoyed the work that they did. So many uh, areas that they did well in. We won our, um, what's it called, um, Bible quizzing. Who, who was that that won again? Who, who was it? Hannah what? Oh, Hannah won. She doesn't want to let anybody know. She's like, mm. 
But Hannah, if you don't know who Hannah is, uh, you can ask somebody. But Hannah won, and uh, she did a great job. And so we had a number. We had three or four, I think, in the final eight and uh, uh, in, in Bible quizzing. Not Bible quizzing, but in, uh, what's they, what do they call it? Sword drills. Yeah, there it is. And uh, they, so they'll give you, they'll say like um, 316, 316, John, go. You know, as soon as they say John, you're off and running, finding it. The first one to find it stands up. And so uh, Hannah won. She beat everybody there. So that was good. That was good. But anyway, a lot of things going on there, and it was a lot of fun. All right, take your Bible, turn over to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. We thank the Lord for just the abilities, the talents that God's given us and our young people, as well as our adults here. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 29. We're just going to read through the rest of the chapter, which is 30 to verse 34. Then I have a real simple question, and we're going to ask the question and just consider a few thoughts today. I had a, a message I was working on all morning, and then about, oh, I don't know, about well, anyway, really, really late into the process, uh, the Lord just said, eh, just keep it simple. And so we're going to keep it simple. All right? And hopefully that's helpful to you. I know it's helpful to me just to do things simple. Too many times we complicate the Word of God, we complicate the things of God, don't we? And God's all about simplicity. That's why the Bible's, the gospel's so simple, right? He wants us to all be able to get it. It's not over anybody's head. It's available to anyone and everyone that can believe a simple truth that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. And all you need to do is accept and receive that truth as well as the Lord himself into your life. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 29. There we read, And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Matthew chapter 20, verse 29 through 34. And as they departed from Jericho, a great multitude followed him. Behold, two blind men sitting by the wayside, when they heard that Jesus passed by, cried out, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. The multitude rebuked them, as they should hold their peace. But they cried the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, thou son of David. And Jesus stood still. And called them and said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? They say unto him, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. Amen. Father, we ask, Lord, in these next couple of moments that, Father, you would be real and that you would be truly manifest in our presence. We need you today. Father, too many times we talk a lot about you. We do a lot for you. But we miss out on just spending time with you. Lord, I pray we could spend a little time with you today as we're hearing and learning about what you have done in the past and how you worked in other people's lives. May you work in our life today. We thank you for what has already happened over this last week with our spring revival. We thank you, Father, for how Brother Moon uh, preached the Word of God and our hearts were stirred, but, well, that's over now. It's a new day, and we need you to speak to us afresh and anew. Fill me with your Holy Ghost and allow me to be your mouthpiece. 
Pray you'd be with God's people, that, Father, they would hear with spiritual ears. Lord, may our lives be transformed and changed because of your simplicity, the Word of God, the truth of the Word. We love you. We thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So they're departing from Jericho, and a great multitude followed him. I don't know about you, but if Jesus Christ was doing miracles and he was going about healing uh, people with diseases and casting out demons, I think I'd follow him too. And so many were following him out of, Jerusalem, out of Jericho, and as they were making their way out of Jericho, they find a couple of blind men sitting on the wayside, by the wayside. And as they're a lot of hoopla going on and people probably following after the master, as the Bible says, all of a sudden they hear in the midst of this chaos, maybe confusion, as they're making their way out of the city, this voice says, Oh Lord, thou son of David, oh Lord, thou son of David, have mercy on us. And the disciples are like, man, oh man, we're just trying to get out of town. We've been at this for a long time and, and the master's pretty busy and he's probably extremely tired and he needs some rest and we hear these voices, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. And they're like, hey, would you guys quiet down? Would you just keep it to yourself? The master doesn't have time for you right now. You should have been in town earlier. He was casting out demons. He was healing all manner of disease, but this is not the time, nor is it the place. Aren't you glad that God's on duty 24-7? Are you glad that the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't take any time off? We know that Jesus Christ was all man, he was all God, and as all man he got weary and he grew tired and he needed rest. But it was amazing how the Holy Spirit of God worked and moved through Jesus Christ and would ultimately give him the very strength he needed to keep going when other men would have quit. And Jesus hears the cry and Even though the disciples tried to silence them, finally Jesus, the Bible says, stood still. And he called them and he said, What will ye that I shall do unto you? I don't know why, but in my mind's eye, I see this man standing there with such a calm, confident type of voice, just not loud, not screaming, not yelling, not trying to voice over the crowd. I'm sure that at this point, things have quieted down, and Jesus just says, what wilt thou have me to do? I mean, he's just so in control. I I just can't imagine meeting up with the master. I can't imagine that me and my distress and my difficulties, I'm all upset and worried and and I'm frantic. And in this case, they're desperate. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ speaks to them so calmly. And just almost his voice alone brought a peace to that situation. I wonder, have you ever heard the voice of God in the midst of chaos? When you were frantic, when you were desperate, and all of a sudden, that voice, what will ye that I should do unto you? And you're like, wow. He knows who I am. He cares about me. The Bible goes on to say that Jesus had compassion on them and he touched their eyes and 
immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Listen, I'm not here to bash anyone or to beat anybody up, but I'm going to tell you something. Modern day healers don't know what real healing is. He didn't have to ask him, do you really believe? Because if you don't, then you're going to lose your healing. It's not how it goes with Jesus, folks. And furthermore, I'm going to be frank with you. You go ahead and believe whatever you want to believe. I'll just stick with the Bible. But I'm going to tell you something. There is not one person that could truly heal people that would ever get a moment's rest in the world we live today. With the internet and with the, uh, the way that phones are and, and, and all these different media outlets and abilities that uh, we have to contact and communicate with one another, you thought it was hard for Jesus to get rest? You and I would never find rest if we could really heal like that. They didn't have phones, they didn't have TVs, they didn't have the internet, and yet for some reason everywhere Jesus went there were crowds. I'll tell you why, because he was legitimately healing people. You believe what you want now, but common sense alone says something's not right here. Not to mention the Word of God itself. And that's something we should have mentioned first, right? <laughs> and we did, but I'll throw that in. I know you enjoyed that. It's good stuff, right? Thank you, preacher. We love you. You're so honest and sincere, and you do care that we don't get led astray. Yes, I do. So Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight, and they followed him. Notice here, they, he had compassion on them, and touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight. It's this next phrase that interests me. Have you ever been touched by the Master? Have you ever felt the presence of Christ in your life? Have you ever been moved by the Lord in your life? I have. I'm sure you have too. My question is, how did it affect you? What did it do in your life? How did it change you? Did it make any difference? Were things different moving forward, or were they the same as ever? In this particular passage, we learn that these two blind men that sat by the wayside, as Jesus went by, cried out for them to have mercy. He showed compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and he healed them. And the Bible tells us that they followed him. They followed him. You say, what's the question this morning? How are you doing with that following thing? How are you doing with that following thing? How am I doing with that following thing? I mean, that's really the issue, and that's what I want to focus on, and that's the part of the passage I want to take time to literally look at. They followed him. I mean, why would they follow him? I mean, he only healed their blindness. Why would they follow him? Couldn't they have gone to see a doctor, maybe? Couldn't somebody else have helped them? Maybe they could have taken some natural elements. Maybe they could put a, some of those uh, oils on their eyes and miraculously see. I mean, did they try anything else before they asked Jesus to have mercy on them? I don't know, but what I do know is once they were blind, but now they can see, and the Bible says they followed him. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ did for them.
It would seem to me that after everything Jesus has done for us, we would follow him. Right? Now, can anybody raise a hand and don't do so? But can anybody raise a hand in this room and say, you know what, every once in a while, if not more than I'd like, I struggle to follow him. Don't you raise your hand, but I'm raising mine. Why is that? What in the world's going on? Hasn't Jesus done something miraculous in my life? Hasn't Jesus done something unbelievable in my life, my marriage, my family? Of course he has. Then what am I doing? Why am I struggling to follow him? Maybe we don't really appreciate everything Jesus has done for us like we should. Maybe we take it for granted from time to time, huh? I mean, I don't know. I'm just spitballing, but I think possibly that might have something to do with it, right? Maybe we get distracted. Maybe we lose sight of the Lord in the midst of everything going on in our lives. Maybe we have other priorities that have taken precedent in our life, and as a result of that, we, again, fail to appreciate everything He's done on a regular, consistent basis. The preacher said something this week in Revival that I thought was interesting. He was talking about another preacher that he knew that said, I think it was a guy named Williams. He's a prayer warrior, a, a, a tremendous, Tom Williams is the guy's name. He was a preacher, he was just a real, he was an evangelist, he was a prayer warrior, and God used him in a mighty way. And he said, he told me once, he said, what would you have today if all you had was what you thank God for yesterday? Ah, that's an interesting statement. If all you had today was what you thank God for yesterday, what would you have today? Well, I'll tell you what, too many times I think we take so much for granted. But how are you doing with that following thing? So I want to try to paint a picture of what it looks like to follow him just a little bit by making a couple statements, four simple statements. And here's number one. If you and I are following Jesus then we're not doing what we used to do. Then we're not doing what we used to do. See, you and I can, cannot be in two different places at the same time. We can't be doing two different things at the same time. Oh, I know everybody's like, well, I'm a multitasker. Do you know that that has been proven to be false? No one can multitask. You're doing one thing at a time. No, I do two things at a time. I text and drive. Trust me, preacher. In reality, you are either texting or you are driving, but you're not doing both at the same time simultaneously. Researchers have found that you can only focus on one thing at a time. You may be able to switch back and forth extremely quickly, very, very fast, but don't lie to yourself and don't kid yourself. You nor I can multitask in the sense of doing two things at once. And you say, yes, I can. Well, then you fight it out with the scientists and all those that have done the research. You figure out how it is that your mind is different than everybody else's in the world. We cannot do two different, be in two different places and we can't be doing two different things, if you will, at the same time. You won't have time to follow the world into the bar when you're following Christ into the church. You won't have time to gossip and backbite when you're spending your time telling others about Christ and soul winning. 
You won't have time to watch, read, and listen to all that bad stuff when you're, that you're used to possibly listening to and reading and watching when you're reading His Word or meditating on Scripture or memorizing the Bible. See, they follow Jesus, the Bible says. Are you following Him? Am I following Him? In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Our time is filled with different things. But the truth is you can't be doing two things at once. Listen, there were things that maybe you did before you came to Christ that now you don't have time to do if you're actually doing what He wants you to do and you're following Him. It's amazing. How can we follow Christ? That happened to Brother Moon at least four or five times. We fix that or that goes away. So, because I know if it happens to me, and I'm a super athlete, <laughs> that someone up here is going to be less than an athlete than me, and they're going to really get hurt. <laughs> and so, nonetheless, <laughs> I'm watching my steps very closely. I don't want to get off track because I'm following the master. <laughs> So there's no way that you possibly did things in your past prior to being saved that you just can't do now. And, and if you have time to do those things, then you're not probably applying yourself in the things of following Christ. See, God's all about what's called replacement theory. He's about, listen, you got rid of that bad music, and what did you replace it with? Good music. You got rid of that bad behavior, and what did you replace it with? Good behavior. You got rid of those things you used to read, and you started reading the right things, the good things. You used to listen to the wrong things, now you listen to the right things. You used to watch the wrong things, and now you watch the right things. God is all about replacement, putting the right thing in place of the wrong things. And the Bible says that when we were touched by Jesus Christ, at least those men, when they were touched by the Master, their lives were transformed and changed to the point where they said, we're going to follow Him. Can I tell you, you wouldn't find them sitting begging anymore. Hey, where are those two, where are those two uh, blind guys? Every time I come to, uh, to, to town here, Jericho, I hear them and I see them. They're always asking for alms. They always want me to give them some money. Where are they at today? Oh, they're not here no more. What do you mean they're not here no more? Well, Jesus touched them. And I haven't seen them since. Well, that's funny. You mean they, well, how did that all change? Well, they touched him and they followed him. You want to find them blind guys? You better find Jesus because where Jesus is is where you'll find them. See, if you're following Jesus, I'm following Jesus, then we're not going to be doing what we used to do. Number two, if you and I are following him, then you're going to find yourself in the church house. You say, what? Yeah, we're going to find ourselves in God's house. If you're following the Lord, you're going to certainly be here. Why? Because wherever two or more are gathered, that's where the Lord is. According to Matthew 18, 20, the Bible says, For where two or three, or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. You kidding me? I'm following Jesus. So if I'm following him, I'm going to end up right where he is. Well, it looks like we've got to go to church again. Is the problem church or is it you're following him and that's the problem? Are you bored out of your mind with Jesus or are you bored out of your mind with the house of God? You having a problem with church or you having a problem with Jesus? Because if you're following him, guess where you're going to be? In God's house. 
You say, you're preaching to the choir. I know, but it's fun. In Ephesians 5, 23 through 20, 25, the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as, Christ, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. In verse 27 of chapter 5, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Verse 29, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it as the Lord, the church. This is a great mystery, he says in verse 32 of chapter 5 of Ephesians, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Do you realize the emphasis on the church, the church, the church, the church, the church, the church? I'm telling you that Jesus is pretty interested in the church. And if we're following Jesus, then we're going to be in God's house. Number three, if you and I are following him, then we're going to find ourselves in the word of God. You say, well, How's that work? Well, in John chapter 5, verse 39, turn there, would you? John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus, of course, is on earth, and he's speaking now to those that are around him. And notice what he says to them in John chapter 5, verse 39. These blind guys, they, they, get, they get healed of Jesus Christ, and all of a sudden the Bible says they followed him. So wherever Jesus is, that's where they'll be now. Look at this. He says in John 5, 39, search the scriptures. Hey, that's a good thing to do. Search the scriptures. You say, what am I looking for? Who cares? Search them. You'll find something. God will reveal something to you. Yeah, but I don't like to waste my time. Oh, you're not wasting your time when you search the scriptures. You say, why? Well, keep reading. For in them, the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. He's talking maybe to some Pharisees. He's talking to some Sadducees. Maybe he's talking to some religious leaders. He says, listen, you search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. Hold on, guys. You're missing something very important, he's telling them. And they are they, the scriptures, which testify of me. You're telling me you don't believe that I am Messiah? You're telling me that you don't believe that I'm the chosen one, that I'm the one to come? You don't believe those things? Have you searched the scriptures, friend? Because if you search the scriptures, they are they that testify of me. If you ever read Isaiah 53, you telling me you don't see me there? Have you ever read chapter 18 of the book of Genesis? A prophet like unto Moses? Are you kidding me? They testify of me. You say, well, what's that have to do with us? Because wherever Jesus is, that's where we'll be. And can I tell you, you'll find him all day long in this one. We're going to be in this book then. You say, oh, really? Yeah, turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Go backwards just a few chapters to the beginning of the book of John. This is big John, not little John. There's three little Johns and there's one big John. This isn't John Wayne. This is the book of John. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm a little punchy. It's been a long week, okay? Here we go. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Look at verse 14. Continuing there, he goes on to say, And the word was made flesh. Now we knew from the first couple verses that the word and God are synonymous. They're the same. We see that. It's clear. So I don't believe that. Well, then you read the wrong Bible, friend. There have been some faiths and religions that have tried to say, and the word is a God. No, it, the Bible doesn't say, doesn't say that at all. In John chapter 1, he makes it perfectly clear here. He says, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Not a God, was God. And then in verse 14, and the word was made flesh. So God was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We have no question here who that's referring to. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ and the word are inseparable. You can't say, I don't want nothing to do with God's word, but I love Jesus. No, you cannot say that. That is inconsistent. That is hypocritical. That is not even truth. Man, this is Jesus. You say, I love, I love to serve the Lord. I just don't read the Bible because I can't stand it. What? It's boring to me. Jesus is boring. Now listen, I'm going to admit, there's parts in the Bible that are rather boring at times if we don't understand what's going on and why it's going on and what the purpose of it is. Man, I'll tell you, reading that book of Numbers sometimes just goes... I mean, I'm just like, wow, when will this end? Now, you can, you, maybe you're more spiritual than me, but sometimes it just goes, wow. I get that. I really do. But boy, there ought to be a love for the Word of God. Why? Because this book is Jesus Christ. And those guys, they were blind. There they are, sitting on the side of the road, and they're crying, mercy, oh, have mercy on us, thou son of David. And Jesus says, what can I do for you fellows? Oh, man, would you heal us? And he did. And the Bible says they followed him. I mean, where Jesus is, that's where we'll be. Can I tell you, you'll find Jesus in the Word of God all day long. This is where we'll be. So I'm following Jesus, I just don't read my Bible. I'm following Jesus, I just don't, I don't ever think about quoting the Scripture, memorizing the Scripture, doing anything in the Word of God. Come on, what, what is that about? How's that possible? If you're following Jesus, then you're not doing what you used to do. If you're following him, then you're going to find yourself in the church house. If you're following him, then you're going to find yourself in the word of God. And finally, last, if you're following Jesus, you'll think more like him and look more like him. You say, what? Yeah, look at, this. Look at Amos chapter 3, verse 3. I just thought I'd throw a, a, a zinger at you. Amos 3, 3. The clock is running. Dun, 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 dun. Let's face it, that's a hard one, right? It's a tough one to find. Even if you know where it's at, you can't find it half the time. Have you ever done that? You're opening your Bible and you're like, I don't, it's, it's right here, it's after this. And you go back and you go forward. And you go back and you go forward. You know, right I knew it was there all the time. I just couldn't. You ever do that? I did. I've done that. Amos 3.3. Look at this, because this is a very important question. And, and so you're going to get to answer a question right out of the word, the word of God. Can two walk together except they be agreed? You say, oh, 
That's a trick question. No, no, it's not. It's, it's legit. Now, again, uh, I understand. You say, well, we just agree to disagree. Yeah, well, then you're not, you're, you're not believing it too heavy duty. You know, I mean, if you can just say, well, it doesn't matter. You can believe what you believe, I believe what I believe. Then that, that what you're telling me is it's not that important to you. And I'm not saying that's wrong. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, you say, you and your wife always agree? Probably not. She never lets me know that, though. <laughs> Probably not. Guess what? There's some things that aren't really that important, so you know what? We can agree to disagree. Right? I mean, seriously. What are we having for dinner tonight? Uh, thank you. <laughs> That's wonderful. I love it. We can agree to disagree. We don't have to always. I can eat pizza every night. You know what I mean? I'm going to be frank with you. I got a lot of Oreo cookies a few weeks ago. It's starting to really weigh on me. Literally. I woke up this morning feeling really bad. <laughs> Some of you know what I'm talking about. You, you guys gave me some Oreos. Some, many of you gave me Oreos for my birthday. And, and then I got a lot of a McDonald's gift card. So obviously some people don't want me to pastor much longer. But, but, but I'm, I'm going to use them, let me tell you that. I'm definitely going to use them. I'll just justify it by saying you can't buy as much as you used to with the same amount of money. But I'm using it. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Let me tell you something. We're watching a culture that is so divided today. You want to know why? Because we don't agree. There's different groups. They just don't agree. They can't walk together. They can't see eye to eye. So I think that the, our, just our present day situation proves to us that what the Bible's the question it's asking, it tells us what the answer is. And the answer is simply this, no. No, you cannot do that. So wait, the Apostle Paul admonishes us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's our memory verse for this week. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then he writes to the Romans. Turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Notice what he says in Romans 12, 2 now. So we have this, we have this idea, this question that's being, po- uh, uh, being uh, uh, asked of us. It says, can two walk together except they be agreed, right? Well, the the answer is no. But then the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So what he's saying is, you need to think like Jesus. I need to think like Jesus. Why? You have to ask yourself, why is it so important we think like Jesus? Why is it so important that we have the connection with him that we ought to have? Why is it so important that we can agree on certain topics and issues in the world and everything really in relationship to the world? Because we make this distinction between the secular and the sacred. But God doesn't do that. The Lord doesn't do that in the Word of God. We make the distinction between the secular and the sacred, but God doesn't do that. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Why? Why is that so important? Because we're supposed to be following him. You can't follow him if you don't agree with him. If you don't think like Jesus, eventually you'll go your own way and he'll go his. Notice what he says in Romans 12 too. And be not conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to the world. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice, be not conformed to this world, be transformed. Hold on. Earlier in the book of Romans, chapter 8, verse 29, the apostle Paul had already spoken to them and he had told them, he said, listen, it's important that you understand not only are you not to be conformed to the world, but you are to be conformed to Jesus Christ. Look in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. So important here. We're supposed to be following the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we follow Him? How can we have fellowship with Him? How can we function in His presence consistently and continually if we're always going the diff- another direction? It wouldn't work. And the Lord knows this. And so the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is admonishing us to be conformed to something. Notice, for whom he did foreknow, Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He predetermined that you and I are to be conformed to the image of his Son. Do you know that he didn't choose you and sell everyone else to go to hell? That's not what the passage is teaching. Predestination isn't about God choosing who gets to go to heaven and who doesn't. He knew you before you were ever born. He already knew the steps you would take. He already knew that you would enter into Christ through Jesus and through the, by faith. He knew that. He had already predetermined the means by which we would be saved according to Ephesians chapter 1, and that would be in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ that you were predetermined along before that in him, but not just based on your merit or yourself. God didn't go in this crowd and say, you and 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 you, you get to go to heaven, but rest here, good luck. It's not how it worked. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You're telling me that the will of God will not be done? You say, no, it won't be. Oh, yes, it is, because he's willing that all should, he does. He wants all to be saved. And he says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He made the way possible. If you don't come to him, it's not because it's not what he wanted. It's because it's not what you wanted. He didn't, in, in the passage here, is talking about a life after Christ even. And it's saying simply here, he did foreknow. For whom he did foreknow? He knew you before. For you were ever conceived. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He predetermined that you and I are to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Wait a second. You're telling me that I'm not to conform to the world, but instead, he says, to be conformed to Jesus Christ. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. He's saying, I'm, remember I told you about replacement theory? And how God always says, okay, take the bad and you replace it with the good. You take the wrong and you replace it with the right. You take the world and you replace it with Christ. That's, there it is. It's not complicated. And yet we make it so difficult and we find it so hard to do because this old flesh continues to fight against the Lord. But really, these guys... Have mercy on us, thou son of David. Is he out there? I hear him still. Have mercy on us, thou son of David. Be quiet. Settle down. The master doesn't have time right now. You can't, you can't see, but he's busy. Be merciful. 
Be merciful unto us, thou son of David. Oh! Finally, Jesus stands still. He has compassion on them. Touches their eyes. And they're healed. Oh, wow. That's been a long time coming. Wow. Wow, look, I can see people finally. Huh. Wow. This is amazing. You think that's how they responded? Oh, no. Can you imagine seeing for the first time? He's touching my eyes. I can see. I can see. I can see. I can see. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then they followed him. Boy, they were so grateful they followed him. And that old life that they had, they left behind. And they started on a new one. And that life was not their own. That life was Jesus Christ. They followed Jesus. That's what they followed. And can I tell you, when we follow Jesus Christ, you're going to end up in the house of God. You're going to end up in the Word of God. You're going to end up doing things that you never used to do. Because you won't have time to do what you did. And you're going to think more like him and look more like him because you're going to be like an old married couple. Pretty soon you start almost looking alike. That's pretty scary. I'm just glad my wife has hair. Deep inside a little tin mine, instinct, instinct just kicked in in Billy Bray's life. All he could hear within him was, run, Billy, run. Boy, he dropped his work and he ran. And moments later, 40 tons of the roof that he was working under, if you will, collapsed on the very spot where he had been standing. Down deep, Billy shook with fear. He knew as surely as he was standing there safe at that moment in that mine, if that mine would have collapsed on his head, he would have gone straight to hell. He knew it. He was raised in a Methodist home, but he had turned to alcohol and he became one of the most wicked workers in the mine. He was a drunk and he spent most of his time either in the bar or getting over a hangover. Oh, he was a lively guy. He was energetic. He had good humor. He was full of spirit. He had a lot of courage even. He was kind of the life of the party when he was drinking. He wasn't the life of the party at home, though. But inside, he was filled with terror. He said, I used to dread to go to sleep for fear of waking up in hell. Though I made many promises to the Lord to be better, I was soon as bad or worse than ever, he said. After he'd escaped that mine, the Lord really was working on him and things really started to happen. A friend gave Billy a John Bunyan book. It's called Visions of Heaven and Hell. Billy was impressed by the glory of heaven. He wanted to be a part of it. Then he read how those in hell would actually, even if they were friends on earth, they would blame one another for not turning each other away from sin. 
And that really ate at him. It bothered him. Billy's wife had been saved at one, as a youngster, a young person, but she had drifted away from the Lord. And one night, Billy was talking with her, and he, uh, and he just said, you know, didn't did, did you know the Lord? Did, didn't you used to go to church? So she said, yeah, I, 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 I've been saved. I just have gotten away from the Lord and stopped serving him. And you could tell that she lamented that fact. And he said, well, why don't you begin again? Matter of fact, if you would start serving the Lord, I, I might even turn, I might even, I might even start serving him. Well, we've heard that a million times, right? Well, that night he went to bed and he knew he needed to pray. He knew he needed to ask the Lord even at that moment, but no way was he going to ask the Lord anything in front of his wife. So he fell asleep that night. At about 3 o'clock in the morning, Billy Bray awoke and he realized, plain as day, that he needed the Lord in his life. He got on his knees right there in that place at that time. And he got some things straight. The next day was payday. And uh, for the first time since he'd worked at the mine, he came home without being drunk. Some days later, he was still struggling with some things and he said, I, I realized that those, I told the Lord, I couldn't take it no more. I kept searching for salvation, although he had already turned to the Lord. And he, he started looking and he said, you know, I said to the Lord, quote, those that ask shall receive, those that seek shall find, and to them that knock, the door shall be opened. And I have faith to believe it. And he said at that moment, the Lord made him so happy that he could not express what he felt. He said, I shouted for joy. I praised God with my whole heart from, just for what he had done in a poor sinner's life like mine. He said, because I could say the Lord hath pardoned all my sins. His friends vowed to get him back the next payday, but 40 years later, he was still sober. Bray said, praise the Lord. It's now been more than 40 years. They've not gotten me yet. They said I was a madman, but I was a glad man. And glory be to God, I've been glad ever since. He shouted for joy, and he didn't stop till the very day he died. Somebody asked him the question one time. They said, what in the world, where's all this joy come from that you have? He said, well, he made me glad, and no one can make me sad. He makes me shout, and no one can make me doubt. It's, it, is, it, is that, it, it, it is he that makes me dance and leap, and there's no one that can keep down my feet. He'd say, I can't help but praising the Lord. And he'd say, as I go down the street, I, I lift up one foot and it seems to say glory. I lift up the other foot and it says amen. And he says, I just go all day, glory, amen, glory, amen, glory. After receiving the news of his death, he said, glory to God, glory to God. I'll soon be in heaven. He then turned to the doctor and he said this, when I get up there, doc, Shall I give them your compliments and tell them that you're coming too? Billy found happiness and joy. He found hope for tomorrow. He'd been touched by the master. And his life was never the same. He had been given sight for the first time in his life. And he followed Jesus. How are you doing with that following thing? It's important, isn't it?
And today, maybe you haven't been following and maybe you have gotten off track. It's time to get back on track. It's time to come back and say, Lord, I've wandered far away from you and now I'm coming home. Forgive me for straying. I'm asking you to receive me back. I know I'm saved, Lord, but I know I've also burned some bridges between you and I, and I want to restore those. I want to get back where I belong, and I want you to have a real place in my life. Maybe you've never trusted Christ, and you're still blind in your sin. The Bible says that he'll touch you too. He'll give to you sight. He'll bring light to your life. Father, we ask, Lord, for your leadership. We ask that you'd speak to our hearts today. There may be those that are without Jesus Christ, and Lord, today they need your light in their life. They need to be made afresh and anew in Christ Jesus. I pray, dear God, that you would speak to their hearts. If there is someone here that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'd bring conviction to their life, that they'd see the need to turn to you, even as Billy did. May they realize, Lord, that all their efforts to find joy and peace in life, whether it be through alcohol, drugs, or some vice, is never going to meet the need down deep in their heart, that only you can meet that need. And you died 2,000 years ago for them, helping to realize that, Lord, you paid the penalty for their sin, and you'll wash their sin away, and you'll give to them eternal life. And for the believer today, Lord, help us, Father, to once again rededicate ourselves to you. According to Romans 12:1, help us, Father, to just present ourselves a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto you, which is our reasonable service. We need you. We love you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand.